Marty, we can get the guess. That Indian guy in the last podcast was absolutely bloody superb. Uh, Shivam, I, I, when I read his bio and what he was, what he's doing. Not, I was going to say what he plans to do, but it's actually what he's actually done. Uh, I just thought he sounds really interesting and really, really someone you'd want to talk to. You know. So I think we'll have to go down to the Indian subcontinent more often because they're doing great things when it comes to whiskey. Well, they kind of are, yes. They, they certainly are consuming a lot of it, but a lot of what they consume and it's labelled as whiskey isn't what we would classify as whiskey. Now, that, that in some ways casts an aspersion on what they are doing, but... That brings me on to Japan. Because they've nipped it in the bud, haven't they? Well, they have and they haven't. Now, they have and they haven't. The Japanese Spirits and Liquor Makers Association, which probably has a, a bit more of a snappy ring to it when you do it in Japanese, uh, have brought in regulations for their members. So this is not the entire trade of the Japanese whiskey. Oh, so yes. if you're not in the association, it doesn't apply to you? Not really, no. Now, now to us, we are used to Scottish whiskey, Scotch whiskey and Irish whiskey. And I mean, Scotch is the big player, okay? It's the biggie. And it's very, very tightly regulated. In Japan, the Japanese whiskey industry is less than a hundred years old they didn't really have any regulations at all or no regulatory body I should say until about 15 years ago so in some ways it's kind of a bit of the wild west but we always have whiskey one of the reasons whiskey has such an appeal for people is that it's of its place if you like you know, people like Scotch. You know, you don't talk about uh, Polish, and and people automatically know you're talking about Polish vodka. You know, it's, it's, whenever people for years, Scottish whiskey was advertised as, you know, tartan kelp, we Westy Highland Terrier dog. The stereotypical stuff which you wouldn't really get away with nowadays. Is that what you're saying? Well, certainly it would be. It's a bit twee, but it is, it is very definitely from Scotland. Japanese whiskey has, I mean, it's come on so big. I mean, it just, it really came from very little to being huge. But there is the, the victim of your own success, Justin. When you're selling lots and lots of stuff, the temptation is to try and cut some corners. Now, what the Japanese industry was doing was importing scotch and then cutting it. They were doing different different things. For example, they were doing what's called tea spinning. Now, tea spinning is it's a practice done in Scotland where a, a distillery will sell you a... a a consignment of, of whiskey, you know, malt whiskey from their distillery. So say for example I go and buy something from Laphroaig. 
Lefroig to stop you from selling that as single malt from Lefroig, because they might not want you to put Lefroig on the label, they take a teaspoon of whiskey from Ardbeg, which is more or less next door, and they put it into that consignment. You cannot now call that Lefroig, because it's not a single malt. <laughs> this sounds a bit like homeopathic medicine, where they put <laughs> they put the the the, the, the a, a smidgen of the actual active uh, ingredients into it, and then they say it does the same job. Well, that, some similar, it's the same certainly same quantities, but it means by law you can't say that that's a single malt Lafroig. Okay. okay. Now what they were doing in Japan was they were buying in whiskey from Scotland, putting a teaspoon of Japanese whiskey into it and then calling it Japanese whiskey. They were cutting it with different spirits that weren't, um, it isn't malted barley, and also referring to it as Japanese whiskey. Now, that's kind of the same thing that they're doing in India, because the the volumes. Now, the Japanese have brought this, trying to bring this under control. Now, it's I have a bit of difficulty with this, in that it's being called fake Japanese whiskey. Um, some of the stuff that is... <laughs> yeah. uh, well, uh, fake Japanese whiskey, is that like... Is that like fake Chinese gifts and fake, fake Chinese cars and all? <laughs> well, I guess, up until now, if, if someone turned around and said um, it's produced... In, you get this made in Britain, right? But all the parts have been brought over from China. You know, they've bought all the components from China and assembled it in Britain and sold it as British. This is essentially what they were doing with Japanese whiskey. Now this regulation's being brought in, it's, it's pretty much mirrors what the Scottish regulation is. You know, it has to be uh, distilled and aged in Japan and all this kind of now, stuff. Now my granddad used to work on a boat and, and they br- brought uh, pineapples from the Philippines, offloaded them onto the quayside in LA they sat there overnight and then they loaded them back up again and they became American pineapples <laughs> <laughs> But that, you know, this, this practice goes on in lots of industries this kind of practice and but because whiskey is supposedly of its place, it's very much frowned on. Now, for us, from the outside looking in, because we're used to these regulations, we think, oh, it's about time that Japan did this, and you know. But you're always singing the praises of the guys here that bend the regulations here, that that, that come up with new stuff that aren't the old furry duddy stuck in the mud people. Well, I do. I I, I kind of like the you know the 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 rebel rebel you know the the <laughs> the, the David Bowie type thing because they're the ones that invent things. Now I do think there has to be some sort of constraint. The thing is the Japanese consumer, I'm led to believe, I don't know too many Japanese people, I certainly don't know people living in Japan, they have known about this and are quite happy with this. So they're getting a product that they're happy with being sold at a a cheaper price and plentiful supply of it. So I think them getting regulations is probably a good thing for external customers. Is it tax protection, but is it really? It's 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 hard to know exactly. I think it's to to basically bring in a standard to 
to Japanese whiskey that is similar to everywhere else. But if you're not a member of the association, you don't have to use that. So in, in some ways, it's kind of superfluous, you know. What you'll what they'll do is they'll uh, set up a, a sub company that doesn't have to stick to it. Isn't that what they'll do? Well, they could do that. But would they really want to? Because then it becomes another issue. Do they kicked out of the association? And it's just one of these things. It's, it's like the People's Front of Judea and the, the popular People's Front of Judea and the, you know the, yeah, you know what I mean? the new it's improved. Like, I know, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yes. So now, because we we are so used to these regulations and we expect whiskey to be of its place, then the Japanese. Have brought this in now. In terms of India, but as we talked on Saturday night about just the, the sheer amount of whiskey that they drink in India, I mean one and a half billion liters of the stuff. You know, three times what they do in America. Um, it's just incredible. Now, if India was to start doing that and start to bring in more tightly regulation and bringing up the standard, and you can see that. You what would they do with all standard. the molasses then? Well, the thing is that they could still do that as a product. They just might not be able to call it Indian whiskey. You know, they might change the the, the definition slightly. But you think of someone? Like I, I can guess Rumsky. I <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose you could do that. But the thing is, don't get too hung up on what the what it's actually made from, because it's actually grade neutral spirit. Once I'll, once the 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 starches are broken down and then the sugars and then convert oh, it into to alcohol some of that it's, New Mex spirits is, is delicious we've had some, some delicious stuff uh, from wayward spirit, uh, yeah. New Mex spirit yeah. this is the thing, New Mex spirit is not grain neutral spirit grain neutral spirits essentially totally flavourless so once it goes beyond a certain point and different countries have different stipulations as to what grain neutral spirit is a lot of gin makers that's how they make their gin they buy in grain neutral spirit, they then put it through and the botanicals impart a flavour onto that spirit and then they water it down. So the f- what you're saying is the flavours aren't actually real then, they're just added in later? They're added in later. Grain neutral spirit is um, is essentially, can be made from anything because Listen, it's, all you, you're trying to get is the ethanol. You'll love this. Do, do you know the way we have a, like uh, black Kit Kats, white Kit Kats, and zebra Kit Kats, right? Oh, yeah. In Japan, they have a couple of hundred different flavors of Kit Kat. <laughs> I mean, it, listen, if they can do that with Kit Kats, they can do it with whiskey. I mean, let's be honest, the Japanese are a, a, a very almost alien culture to what we have. You know, they're, I personally think they're about as far removed from what we see as typical as you could possibly get, in a, certainly in an in a, in a advanced modern day. Um, culture. Keep it coming, that's what I say. Ah, <laughs> oh, keep it coming. I, I think it, it's just some of the things that they, they, they do and you know, th- even whenever they go to like theme parks for their kids, <laughs> some of the theme parks are where the kids go and pretend they've got a job. <laughs> they leave them there and they have to do like secretarial work for three hours when <laughs> they come and pick them up. But, I mean, they're just, they're just a fabulous. Um, now, when they've done this, the quality of some Japanese whiskies is fabulous. I don't have too many of them because they're quite expensive. We'd like um, to get more, but wouldn't we? Oh, I'd love to get more. But as I say, they just are quite expensive. Now, I think bringing in the regulations, it'd be nice to see them maybe mirroring what they do over here. But then I'd like to see that happening in India as well. 
and then if you, what you, you could end up seeing huge amounts of huge amounts of stuff being coming out of out of India, Japan. If you end up with a level level playing field like that, every everything's just going to taste like Nescafe, then, isn't it? I don't think so, Justin, because there's still plenty of room for for innovation and regulation. Um, but I just think having sort of similar standards across the board means you kind of get a, at least an idea, you have a rough idea of what it's going to be basically, but I mean one of the best selling Japanese whiskies is Nika from the barrel and it falls foul of these guidelines mm. um, Nika is a very very well respected uh, whiskey, I know I know a couple of people I certainly know one who's a huge fan of it and if you like the taste and it's coming in at a reasonable price, I mean not all of this. Not all of this is to, to cut corners. I, I've got a Brandon thing for them. Why don't they call it? Didn't have something. It's not butter. I can't believe it's not butter. You could put on. <laughs> I cannot believe it's not whiskey. That would work. <laughs> I know, but but what, do you remember that sketch that was? Uh, imagine if you went in to buy. I can't believe it's not butter. And actually bought butter. Then you would have. Then you would have got. I can't believe it's not. I can't believe it's not. Butter. <laughs> anyway, let's get back. There's lots of other news items that we needed to go well, more in depth with, didn't we? Well, this was it. The, the other thing to talk about is again, it's to do with this whiskey being of its place, and we touched on this on the show on Saturday night that we do uh, about. Waterford Distillery, along in conjunction with Oregon State University, and this is whiskey are... terrorism. It's terrorism. <laughs> it's terrorism, Marty. Uh, don't you go down? Don't you go down <laughs> the uh, <laughs> the Ralphie.com, The other thing, <laughs> everything to do with Ireland terrorists. <laughs> got that stick about that one. Uh, but no, no. Uh, this was a, a scientific report which we published up on on the our Facebook page. Basically, they have determined that there is such a thing as terroir in New Make Spirit. Now, I'm making a very distinct um, point about this. There's lots of people who have put down it's New Make Spirit in whiskey and it's New Make Spirit. It's what they did was they took out a number of different samples from different areas and regions and run them through an exact distilling process and find out that there were some differences in the makeup. Now they go through, if you go through the, the report, it's, it's, it tells you what the, the exact chemicals are. For example, um, the mass, uh, I can't even pronounce that, butyl furin. Uh, I thought you were ethyl, speaking Japanese there for a minute. Hi, Kari Baska Omi-san. Propyl acetate, uh, heptanol, all of these, there's different amounts of them and what uh, descriptor and odour types and stuff they are. And they've discovered that if you take a batch of barley from one place and a batch of barley from another place, they have different flavours. Now, I think it's, it's, it's a regionality or whatever is to do they mention about it being the weather etc etc now the problem is for me it, it makes perfect sense that you know grain from different areas might have slightly different chemical compositions when you distill it it brings out a slightly different um, flavour 
but there's that's one of lots of different components to making a whiskey. Now this is coming from wine. Uh, you have terroir and wine, which basically says if you live in a valley, that the grapes on one side of the valley are better for making wine than grapes on the other side. It's not a, that kind of thing. But the problem is the problem between the difference between whiskey and wine is whiskey is a much more complex, if you like, uh, process because you have to distill it. Now, I could make every single batch of whiskey taste slightly different by having different cut-off points where you cut it at the you know the head and the heart and the veins. You know the way we talked about. There's sort of three uh, cut. There's two cut points. Uh, when you're distilling, you know, you get rid of the, the lighter alcohols to start with, and then you get rid of your fusel oils and stuff at the, at Vague, the end. Vaguely, vaguely remember this. This is to do with the stills, isn't it? And lifting them yeah. off. Yeah. So when it when it starts, when you start your, your you know, the spirit run, you cut your, where you're going to cut it. If you have different cut points, that'll have much greater difference in that, that new mixed spirit taste than any sort of regionality for the green. Uh, once it goes into a cask, where it's cast, um, sort of temperatures, air pressures, the wood used, uh, the, you know what was in the cask before, all of this has a huge impact on it, and possibly much more so than what the the, the grain's going to be. So there's there's a number of different sides to this now. I mean, that radar chart was really inspirational. I mean, it, it looks like a purple bow tie, that, you know. So it's it's an incredible piece of uh, academic work, isn't it? It is. And, and I, I'm not going to argue, I've said this, I'm not going to argue with Oregon State University, but neither would I argue with our, our friend of the show, Vic Cameron, who on her Facebook page, Irish Whiskey Review, says made the point about it being New Mech Spirit. He he was the malt buyer for Diageo in Scotland and he doesn't believe that it makes any real difference. The barley. So he's the guy that used to buy the cereal. He sits on the advisory body of the Institute of Brewing and Distilling. He's saying that the process takes out the terroir from it, is it? Yeah. Well basically what he's saying is the, it doesn't the, doesn't really make the barley doesn't necessarily make a huge difference uh, in the final result. So, uh, but, but, but two. You, you touched on another thing about this that got me. You touched on the on on the the Waterford guy Rainier that you could never make two batches the same twice, and and then how would you know people would like it then? And it takes it's almost like takes me back to saying about the thing about. A blend of whiskey is then better because it's consistent. Well, you see, this is the, this is another thing. I mean, if you're going to do this and do it as a a commercial um, enterprise, you know, and quite obviously, this is this is the route that Waterford are going on. If you're going to go and buy a bottle of Waterford whiskey it's it's about 70 pounds now 70 pound is, is is a lot of money i mean let's be honest 70 pounds not a huge amount of money but it is 
it's a, it's a, it's a significant investment. But it's good. It's good stuff. We have tried some yeah. of it. It's good stuff. Absolutely. But is it consistent? And that's the key. When you go in to buy a bottle, and it's from one um, farm, and it's from one another farm, and it's batch one, batch two, season one, season. Uh, uh, how if they're telling you that this is different every time? I, I'm not sure just how I would know what it is I was buying. So uh, don't get me wrong. I think what they're doing is very good. But I love the design of the bottle. The taste, you know, I've tasted a few of them, and they're under good quality and all, and all that. I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying it's very hard for you to say um, season one, season two, that one's better than that one, and without having to spend a huge amount of money and doing a lot of comparison. I think it just becomes quite confusing after a very short period of time. Um, so it's, I wish them all the success in the world. I really do because I think again they're, they're shaking up an industry I just don't see how it's scalable yeah unless they're going for the, the like of the uh, issues that go through the roof as soon as they release them and you can't get them but that isn't going to happen to those things because well unless they're really good they're not going to go sky high are they well the novel I mean when Waterford released you know you know Batch, batch one, 1.1 they they became rare and people bought them and then suddenly they started flipping them and they appeared in the auction markets um, by the dozens you know I mean it was just sort of silly I mean Waterford might as well have just sold them straight on the auction sites um, so I just find it a little bit confusing that if you were walking up to buy a bottle of Waterford that you don't necessarily know exactly what you're going to get. Um, well, listen, that's excellent stuff. Really in-depth on the news articles. If you like what you hear from Murray and me, make sure you comment, like and share. We're Irish Whiskey Review on Facebook, on YouTube, on here where you get your podcasts. You can also buy me a coffee at Irish Whiskey. Keep in touch with us. Catch the live show Saturday night. 10 p.m. GMT. What's coming up this weekend? Do you know, Marty? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I like to hear. But it always turns out to be an absolute corker because you're the man that comes up with the cracking content. So yeah. I'll speak to you Saturday night, 10 p.m. YouTube and Facebook, and you can catch a replay as well on Instagram as well. Irish Risky Review. Thanks very okay. much, Marty. Take catch care, you again. Bye bye. Bye bye.